probability that one or more team members may be infected by intruder organism. 75%. If intruder organism reaches civilized areas, entire world population infected 27,000 hours from first contact. Welcome back to the Thing Minute podcast, where we discuss John Carpenter's 1982 science fiction horror masterpiece, The Thing, one minute at a time. I'm Harper W. Harris from HarperWHarris.com, and joining me again today are Brett Stillo of Five Minutes of Trouble, Five Minutes of Bonsai, and 12, 12 chimes, not 12 minutes, 12 chimes, <laughs> it's midnight. So that's 10 minutes and 12 chimes. <laughs> and I'm Josh Horowitz, also from Five Minutes of Trouble, Five Minutes of Bonsai, and Twelve Chimes. It's midnight. And Thank you do that so well. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the more you do podcasting, the harder it is to do these kind of little introductions. <laughs> yeah, but in, in five or six years, you guys, it'll be five or six minutes uh, of, uh, of just introductions just explaining all the shows you're on. <laughs> Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> the, the 12 Chimes stuff actually is is something that's going to be uh, pretty exciting. Uh, the The new season for that podcast is coming up. Uh, that's Amy Pavi's show that's like old-time radio. We had one season before, but this season is going to be featuring Mr. Brett Stillo as the writer and actor for some of the shows coming up. And oh. uh, I, I get oh. to do a little extra stuff too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hold on, hold on. You may... Thank you, Josh, but now I'm going to point it back at you that you are also a writer and actor oh. uh, in an upcoming episode, a, a great episode oh, that thank you. is worthy of classic 1950s, 60s anthology TV. Hmm. Uh, in another life, you were a, a Hollywood screenwriter in the 1950s, I think. Uh, uh, really good story. And and you are the voice of 12 Chimes, It's Midnight, because you, you hear... Josh is alluding to that when he says 12 chimes. It's midnight. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a throwback to uh, horror radio of the 30s and 40s, uh, which comes from that same realm of pulp that created the short story Who Goes There by yes. John W. Campbell that yeah. led to why we're all sitting here today. Look at that transition. Beautiful. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> So yeah, I think uh, I think listeners of this show would definitely be interested in that kind of thing. I I love that kind of um, uh, resurgence of the kind of old time radio show genre that's really beginning to happen with beginning to happen with podcasts over the last several years. It's that's it's super exciting, especially for somebody who works in audio to see this kind of audio only art form really kind of coming back. And um, yeah, it's exciting. Uh, since, since we're we're talking about it, you guys want to throw out uh, where people can find that show. Yeah, 12 Chimes It's Midnight uh, is on Facebook. Uh, I, I think you have to spell it out, T-W-E-L-V-E. Um, but uh, yeah, it's also, you can go on iTunes and some of the other podcast feeds, just yes. search for 12 Chimes It's Midnight. Yeah, And in fact, I believe by the time this wonderful podcast uh, airs, uh, 12 Chimes will also be on YouTube. Ah, that's right. Awesome. That's coming up. Uh, oh no, it's already happened. Due to the <laughs> Oh, time yes. space we are in the future that pod- that's yeah right. that's that right podcasting and uh all that so yeah check that out and uh, yeah and our other movie by minute podcasts uh usual spaces again uh itunes 
uh, Stitcher. We we have I believe we have uh, Instagram Google accounts. Yeah, we Google Google Play, Facebook. Uh, we are everywhere. We're we're a bit like the monster in this movie. <laughs> we're constantly subdividing and mutating, and you can't get away. From it. <laughs> so yeah, we'll have uh, we'll have links to all of those shows up in the uh, show notes for this web uh, for this episode. So um, yeah, if you're too lazy to search yourself, just go to thethingminute.com, and you can always uh, find it there as well. So um, yeah, so today we're we're talking about minute sixty eight of the thing, which uh, begins with. Some more beautiful uh, purple and blue and pink uh, exteriors out in the snow as they go to uh, look for Fuchs. And it ends a minute later with uh, Blair saying, you got my promise. So, <laughs> yeah. So we're back it's, on Blair. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a scary movie, but it's also in its own way a beautiful movie. It's very pleasing to the eyes at, at moments like this. And it makes me want to ha- go out and have a Slurpee. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, or, or a Squishy. Through this. People walking through the snow in the dark with flares, that, that seems to be the thing that really defines this movie. When I would think about it, I would just think about the flare and the snow and people walking. <laughs> it's definitely definitely kind of the prime uh, color palette of this movie is that what, what we see outside, the very like stark black and white but lit up with this very kind of neon pink and blues. Yeah, it's a it's a really interesting look for the movie, and uh, you know, kind of almost has a little bit of that kind of uh, Italian giallo look to it, like something like Suspiria. Not not quite as stylized as that, but um, mm-hmm. certainly in these scenes, you get some of that uh, extreme color palette that you wouldn't expect to see in a, a scary movie at this time. Oh mm-hmm. gosh, that's a really good point. And uh, yeah, I would have to think that that Carpenter, being such a movie fan, you know, and being working so closely with guys like. Dean Cundy and, and John Lloyd that, yeah, you know, I play instantly. Now you got me thinking about Planet of the Va- Vampires by Mario Bava, mm. which is also uh, a feast for the eyes. And I'm picturing Carpenter saying, hey, you know, let's go for that Bava look where, you know, the snow is such a neutral background. Let's let's light it up and do, you know, purples and blues. Again, it's like it's a it's a winter wonderland and I want to have a Slurpee. In fact, can we stop the podcast now? I'll get you all Slurpees. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And now now, listeners, we've just cut and we're all back with Slurpees now. <laughs> is a delicious Slurpee. Yeah, it's, quite, <laughs> it's perfect. Really hit the spot. <laughs> So, um, so this this minute is all about Blair. Um, so we haven't seen him for a while. He's uh, he's been locked up in the shack, and last time we saw him, he was kind of sedated and, and a little sad. You know, he said he didn't know who to trust, and so here we get a uh, McCready opens up his little porthole in the door to to check in on him, and I, I really love. I never noticed it until watching it minute by minute that uh, how long they hold that shot of McCready before we look in and see Blair with the noose. You know, we know McCready's seeing something, but we don't, you know, there's this long pause before we get to see what he's seeing. And we're almost wondering if, like, what's mm. going on in there? What happened to Blair? Because it's been a little <laughs> while. Um, but the reveal is is a great one that I think, uh, if if I recall, it seems like it's a part that gets a laugh. Uh, and the, the couple times I've, I've had a chance to see this in a theater or with a big group of people, uh, mm. just because it is kind of an awkward moment. And it's in such stark contrast to his personality in this scene. Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's let's dig into this. This whole scene with Blair is is great because we can uh, you can dig into whether or not he's uh, he's been assimilated by this point, or what what's the deal with the noose? Did he you know how how does that tie into that and everything? So uh, this one's full of interesting stuff to chat about. 
Yeah, I, I seem to think that and maybe when he wasn't a simulator, he was still more human. He started putting the noose together because he figured it ended all. When he got taken over, that's when he sort of began to have this calm demeanor. Because it's in such a strange contrast to seeing that noose there that he'd be so calm like that. Uh, that's that's my thought. So I, I think, yes, he, he is assimilated at this point, And he's going to say and do whatever he can to get out of there without freaking people out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, This is an interesting uh, – Scene to me because, uh, for one thing, this is this is Wilford Brimley before he became Wilford Brimley. <laughs> you know, he's you know, and throughout the '80s, I mean, you just think like a year or two after this, he's doing Cocoon, and where he's doing that quintessential Quaker Oats grandpa guy, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's you know he's playing characters that are 20 years older than he actually is, but in this uh, scene, he's he's more like a creepy uncle, and <laughs> uh, yeah, gotta love the noose. I think, you know, to me, it it fits in possibly with the kind of, uh, I'm going to get a little psychological here, you know, you, you get a sense pre-assimilation Blair is, you know, bipolar. Mm. And uh, totally hear what you're saying, Josh, but I feel like the way he's talking to McCready, it's almost like he put the noose there so they'd see it, so they think, oh my God, he's thinking of killing himself. And... You know, it's it's like a ploy for sympathy on mm-hmm. some conscious or you know subconscious level. But uh, yeah, that just that delivery. It's that's your classic, you know, monster movie. I'm fine now. Why don't you open the door? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's it's what what twists it is. You have Brimley and his you know that down home. I'm I'm sorry for that. I'm feeling much better. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's go line. back. Oh, the line where he says, nothing is wrong with me. Oh, and if there was, I'm all better now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not, not a lot yeah. of confidence there. <laughs> no, no. I, you know, I, I totally can see where you're, you're su- assuming he's assimilated, but since it is so vague, I, part of me wants to think that, now nah, this is just creepy, unstable uh, Blair talking. Because, mm-hmm. you know, again, in these five minutes, it's, less of a monster movie and more of a suspense thriller. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can kind of question, you know, is he all right? Do you trust him? It's, it's down home Wilford Brimley. Mm. We could, we could go back into the rec room and have some oatmeal and maybe a shot of Jack Daniels. <laughs> you know, seeing that it is Wilford Brimley, I, uh, when I watched this, I was just waiting for him to say when he says, you know, I want to come back inside. It's the right thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. It's it's also amazing uh, what a difference it makes when he doesn't have his beard. Yes, yeah. he's like no longer grandpa, and uh, yeah, there's you know it's just this you know this creepy Midwestern Buddha head. <laughs> it does feel <laughs> off. I mean, Wilford Brimley without his mustache is like seeing Burt Reynolds without his mustache. Just not right. <laughs> <Ugh>. Yeah, <laughs> something very yeah. wrong about that. <laughs> So, yeah, just something very wrong about the whole thing. It's regardless, it's very unsettling. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to unlock that door. No. Yeah, it's no. Um, this whole thing with Blair is really interesting. We talked a lot about it uh, in previous minutes when they originally locked him up and when he kind of you know started trashing everything. But to me, there's it's always a balance between whether he's uh, actually crazy, whether he's uh, the most sane person, and he's trying to destroy them so that the thing can't escape and do kind of the most 
selfless thing he can do or that he's been assimilated and all of this is a ploy just to get him out here to uh to where he can build his little flying machine and the latter being which apparently john carpenter believes uh that's that was his intention was that apparently that blair had lost his mind and or no excuse me that blair had been assimilated and that all of this has been an act just to get him out here which i don't necessarily buy Hmm. but the, the theory i tend to like is that he was partially maybe fighting an assimilation uh, earlier in the movie, which is why instead of just sneaking into the radio room and, you know, destroying it under the cover of darkness, he has to do it kind of like a madman because he's kind of starting to lose to the, to the creature. But that's like his last, uh, last act as a human is to try and destroy the radio so that they can't escape and, and spread the monster. And then here at this point, it's, I, I think, I feel like he's been assimilated. I feel like maybe the real Blair was attempting to kill himself with the noose and, either didn't quite make it or uh, I, I was looking at uh, some comments on Facebook that people have, uh, have theorized that maybe he did hang himself and that the thing just took over his body after that, that maybe it doesn't even need a living living body or, or something like that. But yeah, and, and then maybe the thing left that noose up as just, a, uh, as you mentioned, just kind of a ploy to, to make them feel like they need to, uh, need to bring him back inside or, or put him under supervision so he has another chance to assimilate somebody else. <laughs> I need an intervention. Intervene on me. <laughs> you know, that's a pretty good noose that he put together there. I, I don't think I could <laughs> make something that uh, precise. Yeah, I wonder yeah. if there's a, a noose wrangler uh, a credit somewhere for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody put this thing together who's uh, an expert. Although thinking about it, and hopefully I'm not nitpicking here, but I mean, we know why the noose is there in that shot. So it fits into the frame in the foreground. But it is rather low for a noose. <laughs> That's I true. Mean, you know, how tall is Blair? <laughs> you know? It looks like you st- and, if you stood up, it'd be about chest level. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I mean, I, uh, I, don't, I don't know, you know all the intricacies of asphyxiation. Uh, but, hey, that's another factor. It could be auto-asphyxiation. I, I, sorry to go there. <laughs> no, but, somebody uh, actually mentioned that. I was going to bring that up. <laughs> oh. uh, I, I'm lonely and bored here, and it's cold. Uh, yeah, that's definitely kind of a, a, a funny, interesting little bit. And something I just noticed is I'm, I never even thought about it before watching uh, as I'm watching it here while we're recording. That door does not have a little window on it uh, as they're walking up to it. <laughs> no? And then, uh, and then does suddenly when, uh, when Kurt Russell decides to uh, take a peek but um maybe it's not on the door maybe it's on the on the wall or something but it certainly looks like he's walking right up to the door and then they cut and there's a little window there you're right wow (laughs) i never noticed that before unless oh well wait a minute though if you if you look like around 18 seconds in you see something open and then another thing open so i wonder if that door is covering the door oh yeah you're right it does you can see kind of the way the light passes around the edge of that little window maybe it is uh, like a Maybe it's two doors to kind of keep the cold out or something. Mm-hmm. Let's go with that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, another thing about this particular scene that you, you again, you see in these whole five minutes is, you know, this is just a great example of a master filmmaker making an old school kind of movie. I mean, it's the shot of Blair. It's, it's a medium shot of him through a little, you know, window. If this was being remade today, heaven help us, uh, <laughs> you'd get a lot of cuts. You'd get different angles. You'd probably get a close-up of the noose. You'd get a lot of busy uh, shots. Yes. Here, I mean, this is just, and, you know, throughout these 
these five minutes we're reviewing, you see a lot of like lingering shots and medium shots. There's not a lot of quick cutting. Uh, who's who's uh, the editor on this? I can't recall. That would be if, uh, if Todd Ramsey. And what? And was he part of the Carpenter mob? Was he like you know the editor on Halloween? And I don't the think rest so. Um, let me. I can check really quick because I have notes okay. on all these guys. One sec. I know he did not do anything with him after this. You know, while you're looking up, I would imagine you know Carpenter was in the cutting room himself. To oh a yeah, degree. most yeah. definitely. Because in this movie, yeah, there are, there are quick cuts when they need to be made, and we know when when those where when and where those scenes are, but. Again, you have this wonderful, creepy scene with Wilfred Brimley, and I think two shots to get it across. And uh, you know, in a, in in modern filmmaking, you know, there'd be a close up, there'd be a zoom. They they'd probably throw in a, a focus pull somewhere just so they could do it. And uh, a lot, I think, a, a lot of what I would call needless editing. Mm. So uh, Todd Ramsey had, did uh, Escape from New York. But other than that, he only edited the, those two Carpenter movies. Uh, but, okay. Uh, yeah, he also, I don't know if he was the main editor or assistant editor, but he also worked on, uh, on Star Trek as well. Um, uh. But yeah, this, this movie is full of kind of old school editing in a lot of ways. Um, that I, I've mentioned a few times on the show that uh, the fade outs that are in this movie, which we get another one later in the week, um, were really kind of criticized by the editing community. Todd Ramsey said he, was, uh, he got a lot of kind of ribbing from his fellow editors about that but that him and carpenter really wanted to do this kind of old-fashioned uh editing for the movie that felt very much like a an old suspense or horror movie and um yeah i think this actually i'm glad we got on this because i wanted to bring out the editing in the scene in particular i think it's really really well done it's very careful and slowed kind of methodical and it does a really good job both in the way it's shot and the way it's edited in separating the two men um, hmm. there's always this kind of this wall between them and you even get a change in the sound design of the kind of background sound of the wind and everything changes pretty dramatically from the inside to the outside. So it really emphasizes that, uh, these two guys just cannot see there's something in between them at this point. Um, whereas Blair was, you know, one of the good guys at some point earlier, <laughs> you know, just watching this, I had a thought that if this was a Zucker brothers movie, instead of a Carpenter movie, you'd get your first shot where you see, uh, Blair with the noose, and then you'd see McCready, and then you come back, and now suddenly it would be a guillotine. <laughs> it would be like a bomb. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, yeah. Uh, pity the Zucker brothers haven't done a remake of the thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm shocked that hasn't happened. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this this is a great, great scene, uh, especially for uh, for fans of, of Brimley in this movie and Blair. Um, it's an interesting one, and, and like we mentioned, it's it's very unsettling it definitely uh you know i feel like blair's done kind of a complete 180 from that last scene where he's you know maybe uh as i think we mentioned on the show it's almost like he's saying goodbye he's like uh, i don't know who to trust and watch clark like that's the best i can do at this point i think i've lost and now here he's like hey uh, just eating some beans and you know i'm all better like you know i'm gonna come back inside it's uh, although i i do love the uh, the whole uh funny things i hear funny things out here <laughs> that feels yeah. like a very old school kind of line i don't know why yeah yeah that, that that might be also a an indicator that maybe he hasn't been assimilated yet or he's in a early stages of assimilation that that sounds maybe more like blair than the monster i'm hearing funny things mm-hmm. but who knows yeah regardless it's, it's still creepy brimley most definitely 
and yeah, and it, it, to me, it, it can play either way, really. Um, you know, I, I tend to think he's assimilated, but you could totally make an argument that this is all also a ploy by a total, totally uh, sane Blair to get himself back inside so that he can do more damage to their radio and vehicles <laughs> so that they can't yeah. escape. You know, and this is just his way of, you know, he, he lost out the, in his other strategy, so now he's just going to try and win him over with, uh, with honey instead of vinegar, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And also, you know... It, I think it's a, you know, we see here that this movie is deliberately vague at certain times, which, again, in the, you know, in the modern context, maybe it's not even fair to compare it to, say, a modern horror movie. You know, you'd have some kind of exposition flashback to make sure you got it. Right. That, uh, you know, we would have a Fuchs death scene. No, definitely. You know, we would everything would be explained quite awkwardly. You know, I'm I'm picturing again this this scene with Blair, and you know they'd cut to a close up of his hand twitching or something like that, or mm-hmm. you know, a, a a small CGI spot would appear on it, and oh, okay, I get it. Mm-hmm. But here it's just uh, crazy Brimley. Deal with it. <laughs> Let me inside. We can have oatmeal and Jack Daniels and everything will be great. We can just forget all this ever happened. <laughs> yeah, this uh, this movie is incredibly vague in, in a lot of cases. I mean, obviously the ending is like that, but even throughout, you know, there's there are no like hard and fast rules about how the thing works and when it took people over or if it took people over. It's, it's incredibly mysterious. And I, I think that's one of the, the things that's made this uh, – this movie lasts as long as it has and that there all, all the answers are not there no matter how hard you look. Um, but it certainly makes for a, a good, uh, a good mi- movies by minute podcast that you can theorize and discuss ad nauseum yeah, about this stuff. That's true. Do you absolutely. think that may be one of the reasons why the critics didn't really, uh, you know, uh, hook onto this movie as much when it came out because it was more, uh, vague as opposed to really giving the answers like most movies would. That might have been part of it, but it, from from most of the reviews that I've read, it seems to me like most of the critics could not. Their attention was completely drawn by the the gory scenes, and they couldn't uh. get past that stuff. I mean, th- this <laughs> is where um, Carpenter got the got came to be known as the pornographer of violence, which was something that was like <laughs> incredibly. You know, you th- you think as a horror director, he'd be kind of proud of that, but he was actually very hurt by that. And this uh, just the whole critical reaction to this movie was really could have been really damaging to his career it, it it really uh knocked him down a peg and he felt like he had he was a failure because this was the movie he was it still is the movie that he says is the one he's most proud of and his favorite of the movies that he's made and mm-hmm. i tend to think it's his best but uh you know it's it, it uh did not do well and it was mm-hmm. uh the critics did not couldn't get past that gore stuff they just thought it was too over the top and um i think somebody said he would he would be better at directing traffic than directing another movie Oh, yeah. <laughs> pretty brutal. I, yeah, that's interesting, Harper. I remember now the uh, the uh, not the feedback, the fall the fallout um, from that. That yeah, people were outraged by you know his his exploitation of prosthetics. Mm-hmm. How could you do that to poor rubber? <laughs> it's like because you know it's interesting to me the violence. And again, we you know this is. You know, our our week is pretty clean, but uh, the violence and the gore is so ridiculously over the top mm-hmm. that it's, you know, there's there's a scene coming up 
that I got him is is kind of comical. <laughs> it's or there's a, a an hysterical humor to it. It's it's gross, but it's also so ridiculously gross that you know you find yourself, or at least I find myself, sort of you know laughing nervously at it. Oh sure. Um, as opposed to you know the modern sense of, of violence and gore, uh, which is far more realistic and and far far more brutal and and disturbing. I. It may be worth mentioning, you know, this is also uh, the era where we see the ascendancy of David Cronenberg. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, was Scanners the year before? It's it's definitely it in the ballpark. Videodrome? Was that one? Videodrome oh, yeah. came out either, like, less than a year after this. I'm not sure what was what uh, came out just before the thing. But yeah, Videodrome. He was working on Videodrome when this movie came out. Mm. Yeah. And one of the things that, that I really admire about 80s horror is, yeah, so much of it is over the top that you might get a a boo a scare but then as you you know as as the scene develops you you kind of laugh at you know just how in a sense preposterous or over the top it is and you know it, uh, that's that's kind of what drives uh the other greatest John Carpenter movie ever made Big Trouble in Little China sure you know we have we have moments of terror but then it's like <laughs> what the hell was that right that's kind of the reaction <laughs> Um. So yeah, yeah. No, I, I totally agree. And to me, the uh, the the you know you can look at the the special effects of this movie and think that they're they're gross and too violent, or you can look at them and think that they're hilarious and crazy. Or uh, the, I tend to look at them as like this just crazy, imaginative, creative thing that these guys were able to come up with. It's so alien. That that's uh, that's I think what makes the special effects of this movie stand out is not that they're realistic or you know particularly frightening or anything like that, but that they're just so out there. They're so bizarre yeah. and, and, yeah. you know, never seen anything before or after that looks quite like this. Yeah. As long as we're, as long as we're there, mm-hmm. uh, it brings up a question to pose to you guys. Do you think one possible reason for the f- initial failure of this movie, the box office was a non-traditional monster? You know, the monster is always changing is mm-hmm. it's not defined you're not sure what the monster looks like as opposed to say well alien mm-hmm. where and you know in that movie we actually don't see the monster that often but when we do there he is we know you know we 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 know that there's a right end and a wrong end of that monster that you want to not be in front of uh and you know the thing is it's a nightmare yeah yeah that's uh, a good point brett mm-hmm. uh yeah i mean the the you, because of that ambiguity, perhaps, uh, you know, you, you don't have somebody specifically that you can root against and somebody you can root for. And maybe that's just inherently upsetting, unsettling. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I and think hard, you're right. And hard to uh, sell, pitch and sell a thing mask for Halloween 1982. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This is not the kind of movie that they could uh, merchandise pretty very easily. <laughs> No, were there any Blair thing masks that they had at the time? With a giant <laughs> uh, toothy face sticking out the side of your head. Yeah. yeah, I can imagine. Like, remember how they used to have those really cheesy Halloween masks from the, you know, like the late seventies, early eighties? Was just like this sort of piece of really thin plastic with a single mm-hmm. strap around the back. <laughs> they had something like that for the thing. God, that would oh, be. Man. Man, there's there's that's a marketing opportunity right there for somebody to make an Etsy shop creating those for classic horror movies. That I'd I'd buy those up in a heartbeat. <laughs> oh yeah, I was I was surfing around a little before the podcast, and I think I did see some uh, very ambitious homemade uh, 
you know, Blair costumes for, uh, you know, Halloween parties or, or maybe science fiction conventions. So, you know, just kind of, you know, DIY, DIY, do it yourself, uh, you know, giant jaws coming out of the side of your head. Wow. So <laughs> that'd be awesome. I've seen it. I've seen a few McCready's cosplaying at some conventions before with the, the whole ice in the beard and the dynamite mm. and all that. I, I can't say I've seen any of the monsters from this movie, though. I'd love to. That. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. Well, I think um, I think that probably covers us for minute sixty-eight. Uh, is there anything you guys wanted to mention that we didn't get to? Oh, no. I think I think we're good on this one. Yeah, I think we year. fried this one too. <laughs> I'd say uh, you know after the Slurpees, who's up for some oatmeal and Jack Daniels? Oh yeah, let's let's get warm. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. it's cold out here. <laughs> I'm feeling I'm feeling much better now, and I'm not going to do what I did before. So you know, <laughs> could you let me back in? I'd really like that. You got my promise now. I got my promise. Yeah, because I'm I'm a lovable grandfather character. <laughs> I'll even put on the fake mustache, and you'll feel a lot better about me then. So. <laughs> right, that would be really great if they walked back up to the shack and suddenly he had a he had a mustache on. The thing <laughs> the thing just didn't assimilate him quite right. Uh, all right, so I think that'll uh, that'll do us for minute sixty eight. Uh, but make sure if you aren't already to uh, subscribe to the show in iTunes uh, if you if that's your preferred listening environment. If not, you can always find it on uh, Stitcher and on the website and on YouTube and all those good places as well. But I bring up iTunes because if you do enjoy the show, uh, we'd really appreciate it if you give us a rating or a review on iTunes. That, that kind of thing really helps the show out, uh, find new listeners and things like that. So um, definitely appreciate it if, uh, if anybody can take a moment to do that. But uh, most importantly, while you're doing that, don't forget to come back tomorrow for another episode of The Thing Minute. It's the right thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to thethingminute.com. There you'll find the show notes with links to anything we talked about on this episode and lots of other resources on The Thing. You can also find us on Twitter at The Thing Minute and on Facebook at facebook.com slash thethingminute. But most importantly, subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. Check out other podcasts like this at moviesbyminutes.com. And be sure to head over to starwarsminute.com to listen to the team that started it all. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this is Harper signing out. Harper.